Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 169. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I am very excited to be bringing you a conversation today that I hope will interest you. I know many of you have been asking for more information about children. I often talk about trauma and I often talk about childhood trauma, but typically what we've talked about here has been mainly focused in working with adults who have experienced childhood trauma or Sometimes we've talked about parenting, but I wanted to go ahead and get a little bit deeper into some child stuff. So we're going to be talking today about play therapy. Rachel Altvader, PsyD, RPTS, is a licensed psychologist in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia, a registered play therapist supervisor, and a certified clinical trauma professional. Rachel is the owner of Creative Psychological Health Services. She's a psychologist at the Gill Institute for Trauma Recovery and Education and an affiliate faculty member at Loyola University, Maryland. She'll probably tell you a lot about that herself, but she and I have similar backgrounds of working with children who've experienced trauma. And she even worked for a time here in Severna Park where my practice is, which is really a neat little connection because it's not such a big place. I really think that you will find this conversation interesting. Although the title of this episode is what parents need to know about play therapy, of course, clinicians who work with children need to know about play therapy. Clinicians who work with adults who have children need to know about play therapy. And You know, everything about children relates to all of us because we all were once children. So I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. And as always, I love to hear what you think. So feel free to reach out to me and let me know what feedback you have about this episode. But for now, let's just go ahead and dive right into my conversation with Dr. Rachel Altvader. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. 
If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I am very excited to be bringing you a conversation with someone who is going to teach us everything we need to know about play therapy. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Altvader. Rachel, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So let's just start off, if you would, Rachel, by giving our audience a little bit of information about yourself and your work. Absolutely. Um, I'm a licensed psychologist in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. I'm a registered play therapist supervisor and a certified clinical trauma professional. I work kind of all over the DMV area. I am just starting my practice at Creative Psychological Health Services in Catonsville, Maryland, and am a psychologist at Gill Institute for Trauma Recovery and Education in Fairfax, Virginia, and also teach a little at Loyola University, Maryland. That is, in a nutshell, some of what I'm doing around this area. I'm like so excited that we're talking. I mean, The Gill Institute. Will you please say a little bit about them? We'll just throw in a little plug for their incredible services. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Eliana Gill is one of the pioneers in the play therapy and trauma world. She has written numerous books about children and adolescents who have experienced traumas. Uh, She has provided, I would guess, hundreds, if not thousands of training on this particular topic, I would say most, if not all, play therapists look up to her in one way or another. And you know that's just professionally, but personally, she is such a kind, caring, genuine person, which makes everything else so much better because she does everything with such grace and compassion. She's, she's quite amazing. And she has built this practice along with several partners to create a wonderful place for children, adolescents, and families to go who need some extra support dealing with traumas. I think it's so cool that she is really, her her work has been just so narrowly focused in play therapy and it's healing, how it can be healing for children and families who have experienced trauma. I mean, that yeah. is such crucial work. Absolutely. So I'm honored that you bring your expertise from your work there along with your private practice and teaching and everything you're doing, being certified in or uh, licensed in D.C., Maryland and Virginia. You've got it all covered. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tri-state area that we call the DMV. So, Rachel, maybe I'll ask you kind of how did you get started doing play therapy? I knew I wanted to work with children and adolescents. I have had that passion ever since I can remember. And on my master's practicum, I decided to work at a site that provided services to this population. And it just so happened that they provided trauma-informed care and play therapy services. And I thought, what is play therapy? Sounds fun, but I don't know what that is or 
what that looks like. And my supervisor actually required that the interns read a book from Dr. Eliana Gill. That's how I first learned about her, first learned about play therapy. And then I started practicing some of the work under my supervisor's care, of course, and fell in love. I first just thought I was playing with kids, um, (laughs) didn't really necessarily know what that was. And the more I saw how healing play can be for a child, the more I realized it was absolutely my life's work. And after my master's practicum, I went on to a doctoral program and continued to pursue opportunities working with children and adolescents, but specifically trying to provide play and expressive therapies. And here we are. Awesome. So, and what type of, are there any specific play therapy models that you use in your work now? Yeah. So there are two main umbrellas of play therapy. There's non-directive play therapy and directive play therapy. Non-directive, in a nutshell, the child leads the sessions. The child will come in and they will be able to choose from a variety of pre-selected toys with the hopes that these particular toys will pull or encourage or facilitate in some type of way them being able to work through their difficulties. So they come to the room, they're able to choose what they're drawn to and communicate through play what it is that they're dealing with, what they're struggling with, what they're doing well with. And the therapist just takes the child's lead, does a lot of reflecting, a lot of tracking is what it's called. So it's just telling the kid that we are here with you, we are watching you, and this we see what you're doing. We are fully here with you. You have our full attention. And kids will start to work through some of their difficulties in this supportive therapeutic environment. The directive techniques, there's a whole wide variety of directive techniques, but ultimately, in a nutshell, what that is, is the therapist takes more of the lead and maybe has particular questions or particular statements that they might make to try to encourage a child to explore a particular avenue. So they might choose to play with a particular toy or you know the therapist might choose to have the child engage in a particular toy um, or might have some it's called a directive I'm trying not to use the word in the explanation but <laughs> it comes up with some statement to encourage the child to maybe work through something that they maybe know the child is struggling with and maybe is having a hard time uh, dealing with on their own So those are the two main types. For young kids, typically I start with non-directive because they lack the verbal abilities um, in comparison to older children, teenagers, adults, et cetera. So I let them show me what it is that they are struggling with. It gives me a lot more insight into what's going on. The directive techniques I tend to use either once I have an idea of what's going on or if a kid is a little bit older and would benefit from a little, more, a little bit more guidance. I recognized sometimes if they come in and don't have a particular directive, then there's a little bit more anxiety. So I like to try to help foster a more comfortable environment and give them some 
suggestions of what we can do that day. Yeah. So would, I mean, I've had training in some non-directive play therapy methods, mainly child-centered play therapy. And when I worked more with little kids, that's what I would use. But now it strikes me that, and you probably can explain this more in depth because you actually have more play therapy training than I, but it seems that in the non-directive, like for example, child-centered play therapy, really attachment is you're kind of modeling attachment by being attuned to what they're doing and reflecting to them. So it's like the focus is completely on them and sort of making it a safe space for the child to be just exploring while a safe adult is curious about what they're doing and just, you know, staying right with them and what they're doing. Is that, Yeah. do you think that's off base? <laughs> no, I think you are spot on. That's exactly what it is. Being able to show the kid that they are not alone, that we are here with you, we are connecting with you, and that what you have to say through your play, and if you decide to use some of your words, that as well, what you have to say matters, and we're here to hold it and help you through it. And I keep thinking about that therapeutic relationship in any therapeutic model, having a firm, safe, connection with the clinician is essential and it's not any different for play therapy. You want to have that healthy attachment, that safe environment to allow the child to be able to explore what it is that they need to. Yeah. So just to go back to the idea of the two different types, are there any particular specific models that you use like TheraPlay or I know that's a a common one at the Gill Institute, or I think it is, Mm -hmm. maybe you could tell us kind of what some of those non-directive approaches are called for those who are clinicians that are interested in getting training in this and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So TheraPlay, the one that you mentioned, that is very attachment focused. I did receive some training in TheraPlay and it is a specialty at Gill Institute. I don't personally provide as many of those services quite yet, Mm -hmm. but I definitely do have an understanding For TheraPlay, there's a lot of connection with the child and the caregiver. That's the central focus. Typically starts off by the therapist and the child connecting. The therapist will model some of the particular techniques while the parent or caregiver is present in the session. And as treatment continues, the therapist starts to step back a bit more and the caregiver steps in. And we'll do more of the work with the child. There's a lot of connection, attunement type activities. And the particular activities that are chosen are dependent upon whatever the therapeutic goals are. But there might be some more nurturing. There might be some more challenging type tasks, whatever it is that the child needs. So that is one. There are several other where it's parent or caregiver and child, like filial. That's another family-based. It's similar to the the client-centered, the non-directive approach. However, it's more teaching the child, or excuse me, teaching the parent how to interact with their child and fully meet their child where they are through their play as the child is taking the lead. So it's kind of, in a way, I guess the best way to explain it is coaching the parent how to do that at home. 
And there's other family methods that are centered in play therapy, like parent-child interaction therapy, child-parent relational therapy. Yeah. So thanks for giving those examples. And are those all non-directive methods or is that, was that a mix? They're a mix. Uh, A lot of clinicians actually tend to utilize both non-directive and directive techniques. I've noticed there are some who are purists as they are called who might utilize one particular tech non-directive technique or a particular directive technique but ultimately it's usually a blend and a lot of clinicians tend to also utilize whatever their theoretical lens is to navigate whatever play therapy approach so it's it varies yeah but it sounds like you're saying that and this is kind of what i've observed that it's sort of like all roads lead to Rome. In some way, the child works through what is causing a problem for them through play therapy, regardless of the the type, you know, and of course, I guess it would be specific to some situations, because obviously, if they have trauma, you need to have a trauma informed approach. Yeah. And I love I love that view of it. I feel like as long as the relationship is there mm-hmm. and the child is able to experience a sense of mastery, a sense of control, a sense of permissiveness, the child is able to work through those struggles. And the theory, of course, matters. However, when it comes to fully healing, I think all of those approaches can really help a child heal. And that's beautiful. I love that. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. We all know, and it seems like this is said in almost every episode of Therapy Chat, but we all know that the the meta-analysis has shown that it's the relationship that's the most important factor in mm-hmm. the therapeutic outcomes. And obviously, the the different techniques and the different theoretical approaches and interventions have, you know, specific uses and they're all important, but without the relationship. You can't do anything. Agreed. So now one of the things, Rachel, that I see when people have, they see that their child is having a problem and they may not know what it is. I mean, sometimes they know their child has experienced trauma and sometimes they don't know why their child is behaving the way they are. But, you know, let's say they're they're having problems at home with behavior or their relationships with their family members, or they're having problems at school with their relationships with their 
peers and their teachers or their behavior or even academics. So I'm going to cover like every (laughs) every possibility in my statement here. But parents don't always understand why a therapist would use play therapy with with their child. Can you talk about really why play therapy helps? Yeah, I always like to explain to parents when I first meet with them that play is a child's natural mode of communication. Kids often lack the verbal capabilities that we as adults have. So when we can articulate clearly how we're feeling, where we're feeling it, potentially why we're feeling it, kids don't necessarily know. They know something doesn't feel quite right, but they might not understand why. And part of the reason is just developmentally, their brains are still growing and some cognitive functions aren't quite crystallized enough. And the other part is they just haven't learned those words. Maybe they don't have as much of an understanding about feelings or why their tummy hurts. So when they play, kids naturally will mimic what they see in their environment and what they feel internally. So through play, you can receive a much wider understanding of what's going on inside and around this child. And a lot of times kids will come in and they'll say, or they'll come in, they'll will engage in play therapy. They'll leave. They'll tell mom and dad or whoever their caregiver is. I had so much fun. Well, what did you do? We played the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so parents sometimes will come back and say, um, my child says that uh, they just came and played. And yeah, I'd like to explain to parents that parents were caregivers, that the child is only going to really understand that they're coming to play. Kids, as I had just explained, don't necessarily have their verbal and cognitive understanding to explain some of what's going on. They also are not aware of the fact that they are telling me so much more than they realize through their play. So I'd like to let everyone know up front, your kid is likely to say, I'm just playing. Sometimes kids will pick up on what's happening. Sometimes kids will understand, especially as they they are older, they'll understand more of the process and can maybe articulate more of what's occurring in a play therapy session. But kids come in and they can heal through the play. And once parents are able to understand there's a lot more that goes into it than just play, then parents start to feel a little bit better about the process. It can still be challenging to understand because us as adults, we are very verbal. And so when you go from a verbal world, which is very left-brained, and transition into a non-verbal world, which is very right-brained, it's hard to understand how can you process the same way. You're just using a different part of your brain. And children are much better able to utilize that right-brain functioning in play therapy. Whereas maybe an adult will come to talk therapy, and they're able to talk it out. And another thing I love to explain about this that maybe will make it a little bit clearer as an adult going into talk therapy, you sit and you talk through maybe your week, maybe a particular experience or event or whatever it may be. And sometimes just processing it, just talking about it helps release. 
it's the same concept with children, but on a nonverbal level. So being able to come and play it out versus talking it out, then the kids are able to work through it and then they feel better. And they may not know why, just like they didn't know why they didn't feel that good to begin with. They now realize, oh, wait, I feel better. It's because they were able to process it through play. The hope also would be that play therapy could potentially start to help them learn to navigate these emotions in healthier ways and potentially, depending on the approach, be able to start to verbalize more of their feelings. Um, and that, and by depending on the approach, that's more of like the directive interventions because non-directive, you wouldn't be teaching the child those particular skills. The children are figuring that out themselves through your supportive environment in more non-directive techniques. Yes. I mean, and that's, thank you. Thank you for the way you described that so clearly. And, you know, I've seen for myself, for one thing, especially if there's something going on or there's something bad that happened to the child that the feelings are so big, they don't know how to talk about it. They don't like to feel the feelings because it's very painful, terrifying, you know, in the case of trauma. I think you can kind of tell once children who, in the case of non-directive play therapy, you know, and I'm not knocking the other ways. It's just that that's really the, the main approach that I would use with little kids. You see them once they begin to understand, oh, all I have to do here is choose something to play with. And then mm -hmm. she's not going to make me talk about anything or ask me a bunch of questions. It's a relief. You see them feeling relieved and they can just kind of do what comes naturally to them. And then they can really kind of get, I won't say get lost in that, but they can just be in that experience. And it's, you can see something's happening for them. It's like, they're working on something. You don't necessarily know what it is, but they're it is busy. It is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And as soon as you ask a question, it takes the child right over to the left brain. Yeah, it's like a record scratch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that process might be interrupted, which is why in the non-directive approach, you really just track what the child's doing. Yes, you're verbalizing what they're doing, which helps them start to understand from a verbal perspective what's going on. Maybe can ex they can externalize it and then hearing it is a little bit different. They can maybe process it in a different way. But if you expect them to shift it, you're exactly right. It's like, skirt, wait, <laughs> what? And it becomes more uncomfortable and potentially might feel unsafe for the child, especially if they're processing a trauma. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, so often because of the way kids use their, you know, their sensing from using nonverbal cues, you know, at home, they, their parents may say, you could talk to me about what happened, but the child gets the sense that the parent doesn't want to know or can't handle it, or they don't want the parent to feel upset. So again, it's like that sense of relief that they can go and deal with it. And there's an adult there to help them stay safe, but who isn't making them do anything except just letting them be and play and do what feels right for them. And then, you know, it, it, I think it kind of helps them have more capacity to go back to home where 
they know they shouldn't talk about it and they're not supposed to, you know, even though <laughs> it's like that mixed message. I mean, they, they're, you know, the family is very upset about what happened and they want to support the child, but it's also, you know, very distressing to hear about what's going on and the child can go, okay, I'll put like back on my holding it in hat, you know, when I leave here, but when I'm playing, I can let it out. Yes. I like that you bring this up too, because I've noticed how perceptive children are. They pick up on very intricate details in their environment because they're learning. That's how they learn. So they really are picking up on everything. And if they are sharing something, whether it's willingly or unwillingly, and by unwillingly, I mean, if they're sharing by expressing a very challenging motion in a not so healthy way for their mind and body, they're picking up on how those around them are viewing them or how are experiencing them. And that will absolutely alter how the child interacts with those various individuals. They might close up more, they might open up more. And so, and it's hard as parents to want to hold your child's feelings and contain that environment for them. And sometimes they just have to let it out. And I, I think if we meet distress with distress, it's only going to create more of a hectic environment for everyone. And children, again, children are just picking up on it and they know what they can and cannot share. And the hope is in the play therapy session that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, for the most part, they're allowed to do that. Now, there are times where a play therapist might have to set a limit if there is a safety concern. But ultimately, if a child needs to act out through aggressive play, maybe playing with swords or whatever it may be, it's okay to do that. And they're, they're able to recognize, oh, I can process these difficult feelings and it's okay. Exactly. And I think that, you know, you made me think about something too when you talked about how children pick up on everything because they do. And so, you know, it's, it's common for, I've had this experience and, um, and this isn't to criticize parents in any way because oh, I know yeah. that the parents want to help the child. Yes. But, you know, one thing I've noticed is that parents often think, and I can tell you before I went to grad school, I thought this too. I thought if a child's too young to be able to remember something when they get older, like if something bad happens when you're two, you don't know that it happened. Like when you grow up, you don't know that. But now I know <laughs> that <laughs> they know, even if they yeah. don't have the verbalization about it and they may not even have the memory of it, but they still know there's like an inner knowing that that happened. And I've seen through play therapy so many times where a parent who initially contacts us for therapy and for their young child and they'll say, you know, and I'll ask, was, has there been any history of trauma in this child's life? And you know, did anything traumatic happen while they've been alive? And oftentimes there will be something that was extremely significant, like the death of someone in the family that everyone was impacted by or even seeing, you know, someone badly injured or something like that including witnessing domestic violence. And it might have happened when they were one or two and nothing traumatic has happened since then by all accounts. And in the play, maybe the child's seven, nine, in the play, it comes up. Yes, yeah. And what you're talking about is referred to as pre-verbal trauma. And going back to that left brain, right brain that I was explaining before, when a child experiences a trauma, 
pre-verbally before they have those verbal capabilities to formulate memories that way. It's more so, I like to explain, it's kind of stored in our mind as an image, Mm -hmm. but we also might not remember it. It could be stored in our bodies too, which is hard for us to sometimes think about, but we might be holding tension and not realize. But yeah, if the child doesn't have the verbal abilities to understand what's going on, they're not going to remember it that way. So then if they're expected to process it through verbal means, but they can't quite do that because that's not how it was stored in their memory, then that's not going to be very helpful. Right. It's like they can't access that Mm -hmm. because it's not kept that way. It's not a a story of something that happened. It's probably an image with a feeling and a body sensation that they have no name for, no words for. So it would be impossible for them to describe it. But then, as you also mentioned before about expressive arts, they may draw it. Mm -hmm. I always like to think in adult terms because I think that helps us adults understand things a little bit differently. Think about having a nightmare or a dream. Let's doesn't have to be a, a bad dream. We could just say a dream, whatever kind. Have you ever woken up and you know what happened, but when you start to explain it to someone else, then you start to realize, wait, that's not at all what just happened in that dream. And then you explain it and there are just a lot of things that don't make sense. It's the same concept where you have it stored whether it's readily available or like as you go through the day, the dream starts to kind of dissipate. Same thing. You can get it out though. If someone says, maybe draw what, what happened in your dream or show me in a sand tray. We haven't talked about sand trays yet, but that's something that's typically in a play therapy office. It's a table of sand and there's little figurines that you can utilize inside the sand tray to, to play. So, you know, you could say, show me in the sand tray. Your, what happened in your, in your dream last night? And you will probably get a lot more information, even through adults, if they're Mm -hmm. able to show you than if they're able to tell you, because that's just the way that our brain remembers it. Yeah. And, and with that, it's like, you know, you may, you were saying how the dream dissipates and let's say you didn't write it down. You didn't tell anyone. So you really kind of forget about it, but then Mm -hmm. you have that dream again, like a month later or a year later. And you're like, this is that same dream, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a powerful illustration of how it's all in there. We may not have it in our conscious awareness. And that's why I love play therapy for for helping kids work through stuff that, you know, they just don't have another way to express. Yeah, me too. I love it. So we have to wrap up, but I want to wish you a happy play therapy week. Thank you. Happy Play Therapy Week to everyone and to you as well. Thank you. And Rachel, let's say someone who's listening is like, that was super thought provoking. And now I want to know more from Rachel, or I want her to be my play therapy supervisor, or I want her to just teach me, teach me everything. (laughs) (laughs) Where can they find you? I have a website presently in progress. So if you utilize social media, that's the best way website wise to get in contact with me at this time, which it would be www.facebook.com slash DR period. And then my full name, Rachel Altvader. Uh, I can also be reached at via email. I'm very responsive to email. So it is uh, DR period Rachel Altvader at gmail.com. And yeah, those are the best ways for now. 
Okay, and I'll put those in the notes for this episode so that people do want to contact you. They can find you that way and, you know, link right to your professional Facebook profile. So then once your website's fully up and running, you can just update it there. Absolutely. And I always like to also refer people to the Association for Play Therapy website. The website is full of wonderful information. It is www.a the number four pt.org. And there is a wonderful parent corner tab that the parents who are listening right now can click on. And there is a lot of wonderful information and a very cute minute and a half kind of video about play therapy. So there's a lot of information available for everyone. And I'm happy to answer any questions and provide additional guidance on this topic. Thank you so much. I'll put that in the Uh, notes for the episode as well. And Rachel, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so wonderful. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Dr. Rachel Altvader about play therapy. I really appreciated her giving us that perspective about really what it is, what the different types are, and how it helps kids, especially kids who've experienced trauma or attachment issues, which is the population of children that we work with in my practice. Everything my practice does is related to attachment and trauma, and then, you know, various manifestations of that. So I appreciate you listening to Therapy Chat. As always, we welcome your reviews on your platform where you listen. Also, subscriptions help the podcast platform know that you like therapy chat. So I'm always grateful for those of you who decide to do that. In whatever way you choose to consume therapy chat, I'm grateful for your support. Thank you so much. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.